October 20th, 1977, Leonard Skinnerd Band crashes in Mississippi. We're going to talk about it in this episode of the Taking Off Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Taking Off Podcast. I'm Dan Milliken. And I'm Christy Wong. Christy, we are recording this podcast. For those who are watching on YouTube, you get a GoPro um, shot of us here. If you're listening on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, all those kind of places, you'll just hear us. That's correct. Dan, today we're talking about planes, trains, and rock and roll. Rock and roll. Leonard Skinnerd. Uh, one of the most famous celebrity plane crashes ever. I don't know a lot about Leonard Skinner. I'll be honest with you. Well, Southern Rock and Roll, it was the, um, it, they really kind of, you know, made famous the Southern Rock genre. Gotcha. So uh, kind of a country rock or a, a Southern Rock was, was much different. But these guys, it was a big band. It wasn't like, you know, the Fab Four. It was a bunch of people. And they uh, had some pretty big hits. As a matter of fact, three days before this crash, they had released their latest album, and it was skyrocketing. The album had the band pictured with flames around them. And this creepy. Tour, and the tour was called the Survivors Tour. Okay. So lots of creepiness going We're on. We're moving there. into Halloween. So yes. there's that. <laughs> okay. So to set the stage, um, they had started this tour. They had just released their new album, Ronnie Van Zant, the lead singer. You had a whole bunch of others. And they uh, were managed. Uh, some reports uh, say that not just the band. So you had a band manager, but you also had like the tour manager, the one that took took uh, charge of uh, the logistics of getting the band from South Carolina to Baton Rouge or whatever. And they had... Uh, the, that guy was also the tour manager for Aerosmith, another big rock and roller. Now, Aerosmith, I know. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, but not, Aerosmith was alive during the 80s and 90s when I was growing well, up. Well, so. so was Leonard Skinner. They came back, and that's a, another story. But okay. uh, 10 years later, they went ahead and reformed the band, and they've gone on. Um, I think it's a musical difference. So Leonard Skinner, your Southern rock, whereas Aerosmith, your flat out rock and roll. Okay. Well, I must be flat out rock and roll then. Yeah, you you heard you it here today. <laughs> a little bit of country, a little bit of rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. So the tour manager, uh, Aerosmith's pe uh, head of aviation or whatever, but Aerosmith had a head of aviation or something like that. Um, he... He went out and looked at the plane and met with the pilots who were apparently, and this, according to this guy who worked for Aerosmith, they were passing around a bottle of Jack Daniels between the two pilots while they were showing them the plane. Wait, is it eight ounces? Wait, eight <laughs> hours? B throttled the bottle or something? Well, they weren't bottled flying. The they were just simply he, showing him the plane and the operation. And the Aerosmith, uh, Aerosmith said, uh-uh, no way, we're not doing yeah, this. Yeah, no. But Leonard Skinner was in a different situation. So these guys, Southern Rockers, they like the party. So they like the booze and brawl. And because of that, they've had a fair share of tearing things up. 
And I'm okay. I'm I'm picking up what you're putting now. What you're telling me is that they trashed the airplanes that they had chartered previously, and so at this point, beggars couldn't be choosers. So they got stuck with a conveyor. The conveyor, which was built in the late forties. Yeah, the conveyor two forty is like an old, barely past airplane. World War Two. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it was used for uh, airline operations back in the early early days. In in the early fifties, yes, and. And had been retired pretty quick, a, a lot like the uh, DC-8 was, or DC-7, the last prop one. But anyway, this plane was referred to by by the uh, Leonard Skinner crew as the Clampett plane. I mean, don't go trashing airplanes and you'll have more choices, <laughs> right. I'm just saying. Right. So they were going from Florida up to uh, Greenville, North Carolina or South Carolina for their concert. And during that flight, the right engine was uh, exhibiting uh, flames. Right. So, um, and, and side note. So I was just researching this, looking at a video, and somebody did a report. In all seriousness, they show pictures of a flame coming out of an airliner. Like a 737. Like a 737. And they put on their actual cell phone footage of the Convair flames or whatever flames on that trip, a cell phone from 1977. Yes, uh, and I thought it was a joke, but no, apparently it wasn't. This is what they believed. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. It, it may have been that Motorola flip phone, I guess. Uh, they didn't even have those till oh, they, like the late 90s. Well, there's no camera were, on them well, either. Leonard Skinner was ahead of its time. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, uh, yes, they were. So the plane was having issues. There was some big conversations on the ground and about how they need to fly the mechanic out from Baton Rouge where they're about to head to to take a look at it. And the pilots were saying, no, it's fine. It, you know, it's, it's all good. Famous last words. Yeah, and so they decided they would fly the plane their next gig was Baton Rouge, and that's where they were heading. And so they would just fly there and then get the get the engine looked at there. And it wasn't the age of the airplane. My understanding is that it wasn't necessarily the age of the airplane that was the problem. It was the quality of the maintenance. Quality of the maintenance, quality of the, the pilots. pilots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm learning. Yeah. So it was, um, it was a quality issue. But, you know, again— you know, they'd been trashing up a lot of stuff. They, you gain a reputation yeah. in the aviation sphere when you trash airplanes, and nobody wants to fly you because Trashing of that. a hotel is one thing. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, so the uh, the 1970s and rock bands, the reputation was well-deserved, and uh, these guys had helped with that reputation. Yeah. They finished their concert. They headed—they got, they got in the plane— and lots of stories here, people that didn't fly that day because there was one woman that wasn't on that flight because she was having an issue with substance abuse and was in the hospital. So substance abuse saved her life. Oh my. Um, there were quite a few people on this plane because a lot of the, I think the lighting and sound techs were on there as well as the band and everything else. So um, there was many, many people on there. And and there were, uh, at the end of the day, I think there was like eight fatalities. Is that right? And um, and maybe 20 survivors. So, you know, it was, uh, the two pilots died. The lead singer, Ronnie Van Zant died. Um, yeah, there were six fatalities and 20 survivors. There we go. Six out of and the 20. 26 occupants. And, I have a cheat sheet. I'm just, and, I'm not that good. I'm just being honest. 
the uh, Christy Gaines was one of the fatalities. Um, she was a back backup singer and also sister to one of the other band members. And she had to be talked onto the plane by Ronnie Van Zandt. She did. She was afraid to fly. She was afraid afraid to fly on this plane. She was just like, "No, I'm not going to do it." And by the way, the uh, manager who uh, lined up this plane, he refused as well and flew commercial. And Cassie Gaines. Oh, Cassie. Cassie Gaines. I said Christy. Yeah. It's Cassie Gaines. Thank you for cheat sheeting that for me. You got it. Um, and they, uh, Ronnie Van Zant talked her into staying with the plane. Right. In fact, because um, we read that he told her. If God wants you to die on this airplane, well, then you're going to die on the airplane. And then she died on the airplane, which is so tragic. It's a terrible twist of fate. Yeah, most of the survivors were in the the, the aft part of the airplane. So what happened? Um, the airplane was on its way to, to uh, Baton Rouge. They were having—the uh, pilots started getting worried about the fuel consumption. Right. And uh, some speculate that that right engine was burning um, way too much fuel and everything else. The— Pilots apparently did not uh, visually, you know, dip the tank or whatever you do on the conveyor. I'm There's sure. probably several things that happened uh, that contributed. You know, you've got that Swiss cheese model. It's usually not just one thing. It's several things that contribute. Well, Swiss cheese sounds like a good descriptive term for this plane and its operation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lots of holes. Lots of holes. And the pilots got scared. One one witness, you know, survivor from the plane talks about going up to the flight deck to ask them a question and realizing that they were freaking out. The pilot was freaking out. Yeah. So the, And told him, go strap in. Yeah. And I know, I forgot who it was, but one of them was not strapped in. And when the plane crashed. Ronnie he, Van Zant. Ronnie Van Zant. yeah. He, he, he was tired and he was asleep on the floor with a pillow. Yeah. He got flung yeah. and like and, died instantly when he hit his head. So as they were going out of fuel, uh, the pilots decided to try to make McCombs field uh then they couldn't make that they were going to try to hit this open field and they ended up uh impacting trees before they could make the open field yeah so the airplane hit trees and you know witnesses survivors talk about like a thousand baseball bats hitting the airplane was one comment so the plane broke apart they you know people passed you know went unconscious one guy, you know, woke up with the plane's door on top of him, you know, broken ribs, broken this and that, lots of injuries, and the six fatalities. I mean, it's it's crazy, though, that only six people. It is crazy that only six. Uh, there was no fire. Uh, probably yeah. the well, fuel exhaustion. Yeah, fuel exhaustion. We'll do that. The two pilots are two of the six. So um, we don't have their testimony about what happened. Um, and... You know, we mentioned the bottle of Jack Daniels. Uh, their toxicology was negative for anything. So That's they, good. they were not um, on alcohol that, or anything else. That restores a little bit of faith in, in the pilots. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Okay. So um, that that's what happened. The, it, uh, it was just a bad story, a bad, a lot of chains here in this, a lot of links in this chain. Okay. So what was the legacy then? I guess, moving forward. Oh, there was also another twist, though, before we move on to the legacy. Uh, they were celebrating the fact that this was their last flight on the Convair. Yeah. They were finally upgrading to what, like a Learjet or something, yeah. right? So they were done with this this Clampett airplane. Yeah. they. This was literally the last leg, the last flight 
that they were ever going to have to do on this old airplane. They were moving on up to a Learjet. They were actually celebrating that fact when all this went down. So that's kind of a very sad, tragic twist of fate. But I'll be honest with you. I'm just going to say this. They put themselves in that situation to a point. To a point. To a point. Okay, we can't blame them for the poor maintenance and, and stuff like that. But they would not have been in this situation had their negative behaviors, you know, led them That's down that path. That's just one, one link in the chain that led to this. Um, you know, it's it's funny. You know, I did the Randy Rhodes video, uh, Ozzy Osbourne's guitarist that died in the plane crash in 82. Yes. And in that video, as I researched it, I didn't know. You know, you talk about not really under, knowing Leonard Skinner's music. I didn't know Ozzy's music. Right. So in my research of that, um, I came to really respect what Randy was doing because I took yes. music theory in college and for a while was a music minor. What Randy was doing was unbelievable. But I, in my video, in my research, I laid some of the blame at Sharon Osbourne, who was the tour manager, because she hired the bus driver who who flew that plane and all this kind of stuff, she put some of the links together in the uh, chain of that accident. She and, did, but I... And I, I got a lot of flack for that. And so now I bring it back to you saying that um, them being rowdy. Well, hold up. So Sharon hired a bus driver, yeah. okay? I don't think... You got to look at the intention behind the behaviors and stuff like that. I don't think she ever thought for a minute that he was going to get access to a random bonanza on the field and take everybody joyriding. You know what I'm I saying? I agree with that. I give you that. But she also knew that he was snorting coke while he was driving the bus. This is true, but weren't they all? Weren't they all? And there was a different culture in the exactly. 70s and early 80s. But this this was a natural consequence, I feel, of like the band members themselves, like about putting themselves in that situation. They wouldn't have had to fly a rickety, non-maintained aircraft if they had behaved properly and been re right. not been rejected from all these other charter companies. Right. Because they, they were getting the charters until their bad behaviors prevented that. And then they weren't getting the charters. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think it's a valid point. You know, I think we might get some negative comments on YouTube for what you're saying. But I'm just I think saying it's, it's valid. It's one slice in the, in the Swiss cheese. Yeah. You know, with, you know, here's the thing. I would say that if um, Sharon Osborne had hired a pilot with a with that negative pilot background who was doing all those things then yes absolutely but she didn't hire him as a pilot she hired him as a bus driver and i don't think she realized like there was no way for her to project oh yeah this guy's going to get a hold of an airplane take some of our band members up joyriding and crash in a freaking in the bus i don't see that happening you know what i'm saying if anything i look at sharon and go she was probably trying to give this guy an opportunity to redeem himself maybe i don't know i don't know but I don't I place more blame on Leonard Skinner's negative behaviors in this situation for putting themselves. Now, again, it doesn't excuse the fact that it was a poorly maintained aircraft. The pilots maybe were not up to par, things like that. There's a lot going on there. So if you guys disagree, right. please leave comments. I'm, I love intellectual, respectful dialogue about this type of stuff. All right. You hearing everything OK? Yeah. Because my headphones just went out oh no i can hear you okay so legacy you mentioned yes i would like to know what the legacy is following this one interesting thing that was going on in this for the non-pilot let me explain real quick 
the FAA has their Bible, their set of laws, and different sections of their Bible are re- relate to different types of aviation operation. So part 121 deals with airliners. Part 135 deals with the smaller charters and business flight. Part 91 is all the set of rules for general aviation, you know, the kind of stuff that when I go out and fly in my Cessna, those are the rules. In this one, a lot of times the rules, the the rules you fly under depend on not only the aircraft but the mission and all those kind of things because, like, you fly a big, well, big, a regional jet, the Embraer 175, and when you've got passengers, you're flying under the FAA's rules for Part 121. But there are times where you got to reposition that plane where there are no passengers on board, and you fly that same plane under Part 91 rules. Correct. Okay. Well, sometimes the part, like when you were building time, you flew a Bonanza. Correct. For You flew these doctors and everything else. What part was that? Uh, that was part 91. Not part 135, and why? Because they, they weren't, because they owned the airplane. Okay, so this is where I'm, I'm going to go to. Okay. The uh, operation here, L&J, was the company out of Addison, Texas, near us in the 70s. Texas Connections. So what they did is they transferred the operation of the airplane over to Leonard Skinnerd To make it part 91. So I'm not sure if it was part 91, but I know that L&J said, we're to the FAA, we are not the owners, uh, we're not the operators of record. Oh. Leonard Skinner's the operator, and they hired the pilots technically that we provided and all that kind of stuff. Interesting. So that was one legacy was them trying to uh, obviate around. Obfuscate? Obfuscate. Obfuscate. Yeah, well, I just said the wrong word. I might need to edit that out. Aviate? No. Um, Navigate? When you try to get around the rules, what's the word? Um, obscure? Circumvent. Uh, well, circumvent, but yeah. Um, I need to figure out that word. But anyway. Um, <laughs> if you know the word, leave it below the comments. Yeah, no. So anyway, they that was one way they got around it legally. It was a legal thing that they didn't want to have any liability on this thing. So, hey, look— uh, you know, you're responsible for it, Makes sense. Leonard Skinnerd. So uh, another level of of wow. Yeah, that is wow. That's ooh. So I, okay, yeah. I uh, I just uh, so how did they tighten up on that then? How do you prevent from doing that? Well, the FAA I think uh, pierced the veil on that, and I I believe, and I could be wrong, and you guys can let me know, but. As far as I understand it, the FAA still said, basically, BS, you guys were the, the owners, operators. <laughs> nice try, guys. Nice try. That's what the FAA said. And and so it kind of established precedent as to, you know, you can't just tag your it <laughs> for who's responsible for this flight. Yeah. So ultimately what happened was there, this airplane crashed due to fuel starvation, and they determined that fuel starvation happened because of faulty fuel lines. Yeah. Okay, got it. Or that it was burning more fuel or something. Well, and, and, and that the pilots didn't adequately pre-flight and make sure that they had enough fuel. 
Right. It says uh, the National Transportation Safety Board determined that the probable cause of this accident was fuel exhaustion and total loss of power from both engines due to crew inattention to fuel supply. Contributing to the fuel exhaustion were inadequate flight planning and an engine malfunction of undetermined nature in the right engine that resulted in torching and higher than normal fuel consumption. So, right. Okay, gotcha. So that was the NTSB accident report on this accident. So the question is, what do we learn? Well, we learned uh, adequate pre-flighting is a must. Okay. That um, you just can't jed clamp it the plane together and and uh, and expect everything to be hunky dory. Don't trash airplanes. Don't trash airplanes. Also, take maintenance issues seriously. Don't, you know, hey, if you see flames shooting out the side of the wing and if people are bringing it to your attention, don't be like, yeah, we'll deal with it in Baton Rouge. You know, chances are that means if, it, if it's an abnormal condition like that, means that something's wrong. The airplane's take, trying to tell you something. Take it seriously. Yeah. So that's a good takeaway. Um, the legacy from the band side was, of course, you know, losing your lead singer and, and uh, some of the other members. They were in shock for a while. They eventually did come back together and um, restart Leonard Skinner, and they continued on. So so there was that. They had just released this highly popular album three days before <laughs> with the band surrounded by flames. So Yikes. the uh, record uh, producer or the, the company uh, reissued a new cover <laughs> right away with just the band on a black background without the flames and all that Yikes. so yeah i would too <laughs> yeah i wonder if you have one of those original albums you know with the flames. With that. yeah it's probably worth some money now i mean morbid money but still yeah and then there's a lot of there's a lot of um anniversary kind of memorial stuff at the site right right and uh so you know i i guess the biggest thing coming away from this is you you saw the the big bands were not gonna Leonard Skinner was big, they did not have to take this POS plane because that's what it was. It was a POS plane. Now you know we talked about their behavior and all that, but they were big enough to get that Learjet and everything else. It's um, you know the takeaway was for all these bands that were bigger is not to to take the crazy POS planes. On tour. That too. Well, they, they kind of ran out of options, though, which is why they wound up having to take this airplane. They ran out of options due to their behavior. Yeah. So that pretty much what happened in the Leonard Skinner case. If they wanted to trash an airplane, they should just buy their own airplane that they can trash. But then they're going to have to be the ones to pay for the upkeep on it when they do trash it. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. So, I, I know that sounds kind of harsh, and I don't mean to speak I know how the... you love airplanes, and so for to see an airplane mistreated, yeah, that affects you greatly. I don't blame the Convair. It wasn't a POS plane. The people that were supposed to be taking care of it were POSs. Well, and, and you know, I'm, I'm looking back real quick because we, we talked about that. I don't know if they were trashing airplanes or they were just trashing everything. And so, I mean, probably everything, honestly. They're, I don't know specifically that they had, and that's why they were down to this. I, I don't know. So, again, you can leave comments on that one. And that's the Leonard Skinner story. Now we know. 
Now we know. So thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Don't forget our sponsors like FlyingEyesOptics.com, where you can use our discount code Taking Off, all caps, one word, for 10% off. Colton Mortgage, Colton Taking Off for your residential or refi mortgage. Nobody's doing a refi right now, though, with the higher rates. MPS, Marshall Protective Services, MPSProtects.com. Z-Vision, XEVision.com for the brightest landing and taxi lights. 67designs, 67D.com. They make the best camera, cell phone, tablet mounts for your plane. They've gotten their start in the cars. If you've got overland kind of things, they are the go-to. They make it They make it here in the U.S., giving jobs here in the U.S. The stuff is high quality. Um, it's very cool. And ClemensInsurance.net, Jerry has saved me a lot of money. Did you mention Marshall Protective Services? I did. Oh, good. Okay. I did. See, Dan doesn't let me do the sponsors anymore because the last time I wanted to make sure I remembered them all, so I just rattled them off all fast. And didn't give websites or discount codes or They're anything. They're in the descriptions. Yeah, nobody goes We love goes our to sponsors. This. We love our sponsors. It's just a lot for me to memorize. If I don't have a <laughs> script, it's over. All right. Well, thank you guys very much for listening to this podcast. We'll see you guys next time on Taking Off.